0: Anyway, it's kind of funny the little things you have to trim. But good morning, everybody. My name is Jake. Hi, Jake. Thank you. Hi, Anna. Hello. Good morning. I have had a great week. Thanks. Hi. These are my these are my car buddies this week. Shout out to the Nectals. We went to the Vineyard Portage event. It was a national gathering. I call it the Vineyard Olympics. It happens once every four years the whole country gets together. There's no competing no really. It's basically a conference. It was a really fun time. Um, Really cool to hear that the speakers and everything that's going on in the vineyard. Um, Honestly, it's pretty refreshing sometimes even when when they're having conversations about like, you know what, we might have made mistakes in the past and and just reorienting. I find that refreshing actually. It's not like pretending to be happy slappy and something we're not and that was pretty cool and the speakers were amazing and I had my first experience where somebody who had a microphone at the front had a word for me. This was the first time that it ever happened to me. So I'm in front of like the, the whole Vineyard National Gathering. And this guy says, uh, and this guy starts, he tells me to stand up and he has a word for me. I was like, oh boy, like my heart was about to p- fly right out of my chest, you know what I mean? It wasn't that scary, it was very accurate, it was totally God and it was encouraging, but it was just quite the moment of like, I've, I've seen these things on YouTube and sometimes they're weird, you know what I mean? It's, uh, I'm not really sure what to expect right now, but like I said, Wesleyan roots, you know, shout out to Wesleyans. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to share with you guys this morning. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to go from verses 14 all the way to 19. So if you want to turn there, if you brought your Bibles with you, Ephesians 3, 14 is going to be my launch pad. Um, and just while you're turning there, I'm just going to, just going to open us in prayer, kind of get us settled a little bit. Jesus, God, we, we really want to meet with you. I don't want to say things just out of rote. I don't want to pray. Like, I'm not just, I don't want to say words, God. I actually mean that. I want to meet with you this morning. I pray in Jesus' name that your words would be mine and that we would, everybody would have an encounter with you just knowing a bit more of who you are, getting a sense that you're there, that you love and care for them. Thank you that you're the teacher. Thank you for all that you're going to do here. We, we love that you kind of work through us. So we, just, uh, we invite you to speak into our lives. We don't want to leave this place the same. We, we recognize that our time here is limited. We recognize that we have a mission and we just pray in Jesus' name that you'd speak to us that you'd open us up and that you'd have your have your way this morning. So, we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Looks like somebody's graduating at the back. I just see a graduation gown. Congratulations. Okay. Yeah, congrats. Woohoo. Um so I want to give you guys some context. I find this prayer in particular where I'm going to read it's a, it's a prayer. So, we're reading from a it's called the book of Ephesians, but really it's a letter. So, a guy named Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And a lot of his writings were letters. So Ephesus was the place that it was written to. It's just the church in Ephesus. If you're from Ephesus, I think you're an Ephesian. So it's written to the Ephesian people. Um, and who they are as a church, you know, they're, they're a community of people that have, that have been changed by God. I honestly, it strikes me sometimes to think about the fact that they probably didn't realize that a letter written to them would be scripture. Like I think, I don't know that they really had wind of that. You know, but they were probably, what I'm saying is they were probably pretty normal people for their day and age, right? They were probably, like a lot of us, just people that had been changed by Jesus, people that were coming together to worship him and collectively work together to spread his message. I don't think that they were, you know, I, just, I haven't really thought of that. And you know, the other challenging part of that for me is like, what if we are writing the book of Carlton Place? You know what I mean? Like, I've never thought of that. I, I, that kind of struck me. It's like, what if, uh, what if our lives, what if there was a letter written to us how is that any different, right? It's, it's just, a, it's a place, it's a church, it's a town, it's a people. What if, what if our lives are writing the book of Carlton Place, you know? So these people, um, to give you just even more context, I loved the verse that Olivia shared during worship this morning. That's like probably the most famous verse in the Bible. It's John three sixteen. It says, God so loved the world that he would give his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So this community of people that we're reading a letter written to is just people that have experienced that. They've, they've, they've experienced eternal life. You know, Jesus, you know, it's probably one of the most predominant things in our culture today. This, this idea that, that religion, whether you're, you're Muslim or Hindu or Jewish or Christian, it's all kind of comes down to just kind of be good. And if you are good, you'll go to heaven and don't do bad things. Because if you're bad, you'll go to hell. Honestly, a lot of people think that. We have a lot of churches per capita But a lot of people think that that's really all that religion is, and it doesn't matter as long as you're kind of just trying to be good. And some people stick to their way because of tradition and culture and family, right? But Jesus walked around, and the book of Matthew summarizes his message. It says that Jesus walked around saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So when people think that religion is just about, you know, a a reminder to be moral and one day you'll go to heaven, Jesus said something very different. He said, The kingdom of heaven is near. Christianity teaches us that we can taste the kingdom of heaven in our lives today, not in its fullness. There is something that will be fully consummated when we die in the afterlife, but He He taught us that the kingdom of heaven can be experienced today. We can abide in Christ today. That's so that's so different than just try and do good and hopefully you make it to heaven when you stand before the judgment seat. It's so different. The angel, when Jesus was being born, said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And to me, that's good news of great joy. I don't find it that encouraging if if it's just some kind of system where if I'm good enough, I'll make it. But it's good news to me that God loved me so much that he would give his only son to restore me back to what I was created for. That's so crazy to me. the The other part of it is that there's a verse in Romans 3 that says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So some people get caught on that idea that, do I really need forgiveness? Like, why do I need a savior? Like, is God saying I'm not being good enough? And we kind of get in this mode where it's like, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, you know, and it's a comparison thing. But I think we're missing the other half of that verse. We've all sinned and just fallen short of what we were created to be. It's not that everybody was as bad as Hitler. Like, that's not the conversation to have. The conversation, the truth is that we've all fallen short of where we were created to be. We were created for the kingdom of God. We were created for his glory. It's amazing. These people are people who we're reading about today. This letter written to them is just like us. People who have encountered that for real. That the kingdom of heaven was something for real. And I didn't want to get any further without letting you know that that invitation is for you today. When you're forgiven in Christ, when when Jesus said he summarized his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent means change the way you think. Turn from the way that you are living. Because a life of closeness with God is available to you. That's available to everybody. Not just for the people that have it all together. In fact, Jesus was especially around broken people. He's, it said, the Bible says that he came to heal the sick, not the people who thought they were healthy. If you're sick, if you're broken, if you're messed up, you might think that religion teaches that you're screwed and you're going to hell, but it's a total opposite. A total opposite. God wants to be your healer. He wants to forgive you and and atone for everything, that every shame and guilt that we carry, that we could come before him and live in a closeness with him. Forever, man. That's for everybody. For you this morning too. If you have found your way here and you haven't made that commitment, you haven't tasted what the kingdom of heaven could be like in your life today, I want you to know that it's available to you. You can talk to a friend, you can talk to Jesus on your own, you can talk to me. But that invitation is for everybody. It's why you were created and God loves you so much that he's made a free gift for you to do that, for you to be restored back to him. So I wanted to provide that context. I didn't want to get any further than that. That's that's what the community we're reading about is gathered around. So I'm going to go ahead and read. So we're reading a prayer in a letter to to a church. This is what Paul says to them. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm gonna pause right here. My Bible has a hyphen. I think he actually restates the same prayer in different words. But let's just recap if, if that language, you didn't really catch that. He's praying that according to the riches of the glory of all that God is, according to that, that he may grant us to be strengthened with strength, with, with power through his spirit in our inner being. So it's not a physical strength. It's not just an intellectual strength. It's an inner strength. And we're strengthened through his spirit. It's something that he does within us. So He's praying that we'd be strengthened that way. Let's read the other half of the prayer. In verse 17, it says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To comprehend with all the saints, I was caught on the word saint when I read this. Because I realized that there's still a predominant teaching today that saints are, are kind of a special people. There's kind of a criteria to become a saint. But I'm struck by the fact that the book of Ephesians is written to the saints who are in Ephesus. And like I said, I don't know that this, was, that this was really a unique group of people in the sense that they were just Christians like us who have been changed by Christ. I believe that we are all saints. I believe that we are, it's, it, it, it's not about conforming to a man-made criteria, but I believe that if you have been forgiven, you're, Ephesians 1 says we're holy and blameless before God. How could you get cleaner or better than that? That's how clean and, and how pure you are before God because you've been forgiven in Christ. So you are a saint. I just wanted to catch that. My real message today is on this part in verse 18. I caught this prayer, and it stood out to me that that Paul prays for this church. He prays that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height and depth. He's praying that they may have the strength to comprehend how big God's love is. And that was unique to me. I thought, you know, he's not just saying, I hope you see how big God's love is for you. He's saying, what he's praying for is that they will have the strength to see it. And that was different for me. I, I, I wanted to unpack that. And I think our first clue, if you want to follow along, I'm going to turn to, to 1 Corinthians 13. This is going to be our first clue. So the question we're carrying here is, why would he pray that we would be ha- have the strength to see how big God's love is for us? What are we missing there? Doesn't it, why would we need strength for that, right? I think it's helpful to start with what the Bible defines as love. And there's, there's, it's, it's defined in a lot of ways. It's, it's hard to just oversimplify that, but First Corinthians 13 is a, is a chapter that's often read at weddings because it talks all about love. And I want to read from verse four all the way through verse six. Here's what the Bible says about love. It says "Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. If that's what love is, does that sound like that might need some strength? Right? I mean, think about that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the love we're talking about isn't just a passive feeling that you get, right? This is how it's defining it. It takes strength to be patient, right? It takes strength not to envy and boast, not to be arrogant or rude. The one I want to focus in on, you could, we could unpack every definition that love is in there and just be like, you know what, this is, this is beyond just a passive feeling that we get. Love is something different here. The one that I want to hone in on is in verse 5. It says that love does not insist on its own way and it's not irritable or resentful. In other translations, the word resentful is translated, it takes no account of wrongdoings. So it's not, it's not keeping track of everything that's ever been done wrong to, to you and being resentful about it. Keeping a score sheet of everything that's been done wrong to you. I was struck by this. Philippians 2 says that Jesus counted equality with God as something not to be grasped. I don't know if you know that verse, but if you think about Jesus' life, okay, just think about his life with me for a minute. Jesus had the kind of life that made tax collectors go and return all the money that they embellished, that they embezzled, embellished, stole, embezzled, embellished. Jesus had the kind of life that made tax collectors who were embezzling money go and return all of it. Jesus had the kind of life where where prostitutes and broken people were flocking around him. The religious leaders of that day, I don't know that they had the same effect on these people. Jesus went around healing the sick, performing miracles. He fed thousands of people with, like, food for five. He raised people from the dead. He delivered them from demonic oppression. He was the perfect example of love. If you think about this, was there anybody that was more entitled... That was, that was, how do I want to say this? Look at how Jesus' life ended, right? He, he, he walked that kind of life and was crucified for it. it. It cost him his life to walk that way, to tell people that there was hope, to tell people that the kingdom of God was near, that there was a way and a hope for them, even if they had a mess of a life, and it gets them killed. If there was anybody that was more, that had more of a right to be resentful, I think you're looking at the the, the epitome of that. But Jesus, it says that Jesus counted equality with God as something not to be grasped. He didn't he didn't take that entitlement. He didn't get offended. Another way to illustrate it is found in Matthew 26. Matthew 26 tells the story of Jesus' betrayal when um, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas sells him out for 30 bucks, 30 coins of silver. And he brings this Roman um, police force and they're going to arrest him on false accusations and ultimately he's killed. So when they come to arrest him, some guy who's with Jesus is like, sees what's going on and he pulls out a sword and chops the guy's ear off. (laughs) Do you know what Jesus does? He heals the guy's ear and scolds the dude for chopping it off. Like isn't that an altruistic motive? Halt! You will not take my master... Heals the ear and scolds this guy. Do you know what he says to the guy who chopped the ear off? He says, do you not think that I could have called down legions of angels? That makes me shake a little bit. I'm like, whoa. Whoa. I don't know if you've read some of the Old Testament stories about what angels can do. It's nuts. If he had called down legions of angels against that band of Roman police, I'm putting my money on the angels. Okay? Do you get a sense of the power that he had access to? That he was entitled to but counted it as something not to be grasped? He had the, he had the choice. The question for us, if this is the definition of love, is where, where are we living entitled, right? Where are we counting what we're entitled to as something to be grasped, right? You see, there's the reason I think Paul prays for strength is that When you see how big God's love is for you, the way that you would live in light of that love is very different. All of a sudden, you you choose not to take that entitlement. You choose to take the high road. You choose to not count these things against you. You don't get resentful out of love. Jesus on the cross, when these people are killing him for nothing, he says, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. He's praying for them in that moment. He's being crucified and he's thinking about them. Whoa, you know? When you see a love that big, the way that you would live in light of it is very different. In fact, Jesus says it very sharply. He says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. He says it very sharply because he tells a parable. He tells a parable of a guy who owes somebody a lot of money. It's called a million dollars. And he's going to get thrown in prison because he can't pay it. And the guy begs the, begs the judge for mercy and the judge forgives him the debt. And then the guy goes out and somebody owes him 10 bucks. And he like freaks out on the guy and takes him to be arrested because he owed him 10 bucks. And you kind of get that picture, right? This is what I preached on a month ago is just that we've all really been given, forgiven a lot. So he's he's saying that if we've been forgiven that much, in light of that, it doesn't. it's not really fair that we would go and get mad at the guy who owes us $10. If we we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. We've got to see what's going on here. Jesus says also that it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says it's difficult. He, He says it dramatically. He says that it's easier for an eye, sorry, sorry, for a camel to climb through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. His disciples are like, then who can be saved? Like, And he's like, what's impossible with man is possible with God. The point, though, that I want to get here is that sometimes, I I think the reason it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven is because we have a lot of things that we think that can give us fulfillment in life. But if God's love really is that big, remember how we're we're talking about if we comprehend how big God's love is? If it's really that big, you're not going to want to drink from empty cups anymore. You're not going to want to try and find your fulfillment in your life in the riches that you have. You're going to find that you've been so filled in that love that you don't need to live for yourself anymore. You've got what you need in him. But when you're rich and you love these things and you love your life, it's difficult because you think that they give you life. That's why he says it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how it might, when you start to see, if you see a love that big, how you would live your life in light of that may be challenging. It may require strength. Is that, does that prayer make a little more sense, right? We kind of see that. I, I, I'm a really simple guy. I just want to pray that this morning. For real. Like, I just, want to, I just want to act out what Paul's saying. That he prayed for this church that they would have the strength to see how big God's love is. I want to pray that for us, too. There's one more thing I want us to catch before we go there. Let's just get back to why, okay? Okay? He's saying, he's praying that we may have the strength to see how big God's love is. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This isn't something intellectual. It passes it. It's so big. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So if we're focused on all the things that, oh man, well what if God makes me give up this? Or we're, we're, we're missing something. What if the fullness of God was available to you? I don't know if you'd want to keep these things. These I call them empty cups. I don't know if you'd want to drink from those things. The other side of this coin that I felt, I, I, I speak this next part to you humbly. Um, I felt challenged when I was doing this that, that we as the church, I'm not talking about specifically our, our gathered body, but we as the church, we need to take seriously our role in other people's eternal destination. I say that very humbly because I'm not somebody that's always been perfect that way. I'm not saying I even am now. I'm not, I'm not saying I've always understood that. But I do feel that the reason that we, were, that we are left here is for other people too. Did you remember that list of what love is in 1 Corinthians 13? How many of those had to do with other people? It's almost like the love isn't, isn't just about us, right? It affects how we walk in, in, in the face of other people. It affects how rude we are, how entitled we are, how offended we get. We're left here, the Bible calls us ambassadors of Christ, says we're his hands and feet. He's the head of the church and we're the body. We're the body parts that actually go and spread this message. So I just had a sense, I, and, I, and I don't want to water that down, that we needed to get a sense of, of, of our responsibility to carry this message to other people. That eternal destination is on the line for people. That we need to, we have a part in that as the body of Christ. So this love we're not just praying to see a love that would be a nice feeling for us. We're praying that we may walk filled to the fullness of God in this life. There's a verse in the Psalms, I forgot to write down the reference, that says, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may have a heart of wisdom. If we see how short this light is, it changes how we would live every day. I'm coming to you humbly saying that I want to take seriously my responsibility to share the gospel, to share the message that God really is loving and And people have a way home. And I want to leave that challenge to you too that really the invitation before us is that we would see how much God loves us and allow that to change us, allow that to inform every part of our life. Why don't we go ahead and pray? God, I'm asking for strength. I think sometimes when I see what it would mean if you were really that real, you were really that big, and your love meant that much. I start, to, I start to worry about all the things that I think make up my life, and I'm not sure that I'd want to trade those away. But Father, I pray for strength. I pray the strength to, to take, to dare to ask you to show us how big your love is. The breadth and length and the height and the depth. I pray that I would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I thank you that in this same prayer you say that we are strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being. This isn't something that we are abandoned on our own to do. But you long to strengthen us by your spirit in our inner being. I invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and to fill your people with strength in their inner being. Thank you for your peace. We accept what you've given us as a task of being an ambassador for you. Let us see the joy that it is to tell people that God is real and he's love and that there's a way home for them. Don't let other parts of our lives trump that anymore. We repent of letting fear speak louder. We repent of seeking our own. We want to carry this message and number our days and walk in wisdom. We want to know how loving, we want to know you more. To share the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think I'm pretty much done. I just wanted to share one more thought to you. I said earlier that there's a lot of churches per capita, and there really is in our country. There's a lot. You can find a lot of church buildings, you can find a lot of congregations, a lot of different beliefs. Dane and I prayed for a guy on the streets this week when we were in Montreal, and he didn't know. We were sharing the gospel with him. We were telling him that Jesus loved him. We wanted to pray for him. He had a pain in his knee. We wanted to pray for his knee. And he wanted some food. And long story short, what struck me about that conversation is that we asked the guy if we could pray for him. And this is a guy who's gone to church his whole life. He grew up Russian Orthodox. He's gone to church his whole life. You know what he asked us? He said, well, where do we have to go? Do we not have to go to a building? Do we not have to go to a building to pray? Blew my mind a little bit. There's a lot of churches around, but sometimes I think there's a narrative, there's a belief in us that, like, you remember that old, like, like you got to go to Africa to share the gospel and be a missionary? You know what I mean? I'm, we just met a guy on the streets who, who's gone to church his whole life, and I don't know that he's really heard the true message of Jesus. He doesn't know that he can talk to God on, on the streets. He thinks, it's, he thinks it's about the church building. He thought he had to be in a building to pray. How common do you think that really is in our society, Right? Probably more than I've realized. You know what I mean? You don't need to be sent internationally if you do. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We've got to get the gospel to all nations, but I think we're writing the book of Carlton Place with our lives right now. I think we're missionaries to our circles of influence. It struck me, you know? This guy didn't know that you could talk to God outside of a building. I think that's pretty common. I I I I think we need to carry that mantle. I think we just need to take that seriously. I'm not saying that you don't need to be crippled by fear. It's, it's, it's not, I'm not trying to put someone's blood on your hands. I'm just saying we aren't taking this serious enough.